Hello, I'm Brittany Campbell-Turner, and this is The Constructor Podcast, session number 17. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Constructor. I'm Brittany Campbell-Turner, and this podcast is dedicated to helping property owners have certainty in their decisions about their construction projects. On this podcast, we discuss how property owners can foster trusting relationships within their project teams, understand how to lower risk, be under budget, and on schedule in your construction projects, and exceed your end user's desires. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for listening to Constructor, the best way to build it. Don't forget to describe at Constructor.com if you are listening to these episodes and like the content. Subscribers at Constructor.com and reviews keep me going. So let me introduce my next guest. This interview is with Tim Tracy, director of the Chicago office for Smith Group JJR. Tim leads the multidisciplinary office with a focus on design quality achieved through a holistic and integrated design process. Tim leads his clients and design team through a collaborative design process, understanding his clients' core values and aspiring to expand their vision. Tim's designs solutions are programmatically responsive in a manner that celebrates their values with the built environment. One of the methodologies that Tim and his team uses is establishing conditions of satisfaction and measuring against these conditions throughout the entirety of the project. Conditions of satisfaction is our topic of discussion today. Without further ado, here is my interview with Tim Tracy. So, Tim, welcome to the Constructor Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time out and um, talking to us about conditions of satisfaction. So, um, can you tell us what is your definition of conditions of satisfaction? Sure. Um, For me... The conditions of satisfaction is a is a great term. However, it's actually a little maybe more simple than that. Um, in order to be able to complete a task in a in a way that is satisfactory to an individual or a group or whatever, you have to understand what it is that you're trying to achieve. So, for me, conditions of satisfaction is really a common understanding of how success will be measured uh, once you've delivered upon what the promise is that you've made. So it, it, it can be as complicated as a formal contract, or it could be as simple as a direct promise that somebody makes to uh, be able to achieve a data team. Uh, and I think it's very scalable in that regard. But uh, it's that common understanding that, that people find so that if you do hand something over to the individual that you made the promise to, then they can agree that you achieved what you agreed to achieve. Okay, great. Um, just kind of piggyback on that question, why is conditions of, of satisfaction um, or, or the success of measure, um, why is it important to you? Well, in my career, I've, had, I've been afforded some pretty fantastic opportunities. Uh, just by start by saying I don't consider myself necessarily necessarily an expert in, in the but 
definitely committed and very passionate about the things that the tools and the things that I've learned over the years that are about getting better as a professional, producing better products, uh, producing a higher quality design. And my introduction to Lumen came very early in my career when I was exposed to um, the, the lean principles by working with Bolt Construction on a project up in uh, Phillips, Wisconsin. And I began to hear the conversation about two-week look-aheads and uh, how that you can use lean principles in construction and design to make the process more efficient. And I began to, to think at that time that, boy, this, this sounds very interesting without necessarily understanding the implications of a lot of things that uh, I was being exposed to. A, a project that I became very intimately involved with early in my career was a residential project that I worked on that uh, was built in Pensacola, Florida, and it was an amazing architectural opportunity. I worked in a small uh, architectural firm with, with two partners, and this residential client was a, a was somebody that was a, a real believer in the architecture that our firm was trying to achieve, and he was a, a very um, passionate person about high-quality design. And I knew those things about him being a young architect at the top. And the team completely committed itself to creating this amazing piece of architecture. He wanted a dream home. Uh, and we were absolutely committed to delivering a dream home for him. But that was about as far as it went as to understanding what his expectations were for uh, how this project would be successful to him. And I remembered uh, I used to spend many days on the job site at that point, uh, visiting and, and doing field observations. And, uh, we worked very closely with all the tradesmen through all the different things that were, were being implemented in the town. Um, I, I would ask this, uh, our client whenever he would come over and meet me to a walkthrough, and I would just ask him, well, does it, does it feel like home to you yet? And his answer inevitably was always no. And it, it, being a young architect, I began, began to find myself was questioning, okay, what do I have to do and what do we have to do to really satisfy them? He was a very soft-spoken gentleman um, and he had a great partnership and a, and a relationship with the partners of the firm. But as far as that extension out to the team, it was a little uh, ambiguous for us to understand what we need to do on a daily basis to really achieve a measure of quality that he thought was successful. And when I look back on it, I think um, it was an amazing piece of architecture that that team developed, uh, beautiful in so many ways, and, and uh, I thought very uh, sort of inspiring in, in so many ways. But I always I sort of left that project. The impression for me was, gosh, did we really meet his expectations? Hmm. And fast-forwarding, uh, I had a, an opportunity shortly thereafter to, with the, with the same firm, work on a project at the school that I had went to when I was in college at the Illinois Institute of Technology. And the project uh, was to restore the College of Architecture building that's designed by Sander. And I had an amazing opportunity there as well to work with Tony Harbo from a historic preservation perspective. And of course, Ron Crick and Mark Sexton were intimately involved in detail. Uh, but that one was it was super clear what we were trying to achieve. We were trying to restore uh, a historic landmark. And the object was not to uh, improve it or 
make it as Beast would have made it if he built it in 2005 to do his work. Uh, it was to restore the building to its classical form as it was intended to be designed in the 1950s. And it was so clear and so crystal clear that from the design team down to the construction team and every laborer that worked on the project, we were all galvanized around the mission to construct this building over the summer when school was out and restore it to its original majestic uh, aesthetic. And it was so simple and so clear that when I look back on that, boy, we understood exactly what the measure of success was going to be for that project. Did we achieve what was originally intended to achieve, to be achieved? And were we able to restore it? Not to put our own stamp on it, but to restore it as Mies van der Rohe would have wanted the building to be restored, but it was to be envisioned when he first started and, and built the project. And for me, that was a bit of a paradigm shift. Um, coming out of this prior project where I didn't know what success was, to now this project where success was very correct, very simply defined, um, it, it was clear that, gosh, that, that, that's an exercise that we should go through on every project that we went through. I didn't understand necessarily satisfaction at that time. That was an exposure to um, an expectation and a way of thinking and a way of working way of defining expectations that had a, a pretty uh, profound impact on my career. So now as I look back on that and think of the way we are trying to practice architecture and JR, we often talk about we need to define the problem before we solve the problem. And part of that definition of problem is understanding what the measures of success will be for our clients so that we're able to fully deliver the, the product that they're expecting and having that common understanding through conditions of satisfaction is uh, just a great tool for us uh, as we go on the journey. I think those are um, excellent examples to really explain how establishing conditions of satisfaction um, in a project can truly, truly be valuable. So understanding that it can provide so much value to a project. How do you um, establish conditions of satisfaction and how, how does it provide value to the clients that you work with? Sure. Uh, well, um, not to be overly simplistic, but probably the most direct answer is to say you have to ask questions. And I think as, as architects, we're natural problem solvers in a lot of ways, uh, and we want to solve the problem, but sometimes we jump into solving the problem without fully defining the problem and understanding what the, the measures of success will be. And so one of the, the techniques that we use very early in a project typically is is, is really just a brainstorming session. Um, and it's a, it, it's a real life, you know, it's a straightforward conversation around the table as to uh, okay, we understand the quantitative aspects of what you're looking to try to achieve for a project um, with our, our clients, and oftentimes those are very clearly defined in an RFP. Uh, but the qualitative aspects sometimes are a little bit harder to get to. Um, and an example of that might be a, a recent project that we are working on uh, with the, the Northern Trust Company, 
and we understood the expectations with um, implementing a, a, a sort of a, a fully functional training center on the floor and what that meant to them from being able to to, to create a, a a space and a situation that uh, uh, really a training area that reinforced the the training opportunities that they had. But as we began talking on the, in our conversation very early on the first day, um, we began to understand that this project had an opportunity to not only provide a, a better quality environment for those that were going to be going through the training exercises, but it had a real opportunity to make a, a personal impact on users that would be coming into the space because this was oftentimes the first impressions for their their new uh, project or their, their new life at, at trust of the early training sessions would be happening in the space. So um, having an insight as to how this could affect uh, and, and really set a cultural expectation and have a, uh, an implication of the branding aspects of what this space could be led us to a condition of satisfaction that was not just about delivering the technical aspects of what it was that we were trying to deliver, but setting a goal to try to transform that environment uh, so that we can create a very positive, high-value experience that was was uh, something that the, would be a memorable experience and a, a really transformational experience for those who use the space. And that original uh, that that first conversation around the table got us to this this point where we uncovered this opportunity that became a condition that we all agreed that we want to live, uh, live up to and set as a measure of success for that particular project yeah that that's a great example well I hope that that the value that it adds um, you know we you're able to agree upon what the quantitative aspects of the project are and that usually one of those measures of success as well. That's a condition of satisfaction often in many terms because you have to meet the schedule, you have to meet the budget, you have to deliver the number of spaces that are required for the functional aspects of it, uh, of the space to be successful. Uh, but to take that in a step farther and be able to, to bring in the qualitative aspects of what that space can achieve uh, requires a pretty intimate and direct conversation uh, to, to be able to agree that that's an important measure of success for the project. No, I completely uh, agree with with you on that. Um, I I guess my next question would be, you know, that really provides clarity on how that provides value to clients um, and the end users who are eventually going to utilize the space and, and be in the space. How do you think that ultimately helps the entire construction project team? Well, most simply, uh, providing clarity. Um, I think oftentimes in the industry, things get lost in translation, and people fall back on norms and make assumptions based upon what they did in the previous project that they worked on, or with the previous example of, of relationships that they, they might have had. So finding early alignments uh, generates, I think, a, a clarity of vision that people can then focus their efforts as a team and working together, right? And uh, that may be an oversimplification of it, but I think it's very important. Every project that we work on, oftentimes there's a new mixture of people, whether it be 
you know, a new mixture of people on just our design team or whether it be a new picture of a group of people from the consultants that we might bring in or the contractors that we bring in or especially from the client side, it's always a new endeavor, right? It's never, no one project is ever the same as the other. So there is a measure, there is an importance in placing that value on that early alignment of what your expectations are that it's critical to being able to achieve success because it's never going to be the same from project to project. This is, this is very true. Um, so just kind of piggybacking on something you mentioned earlier, you spoke about, you know, the general conditions that we typically measure, right? Like schedule costs. Um, and then, you know, you can obviously incorporate a condition that is more qualitative, like incorporating brand. Um, but I'm curious as to, you know, are are these conditions typical based upon what you've seen a client establish early on in a project? Um, are there other examples of conditions um, that you've identified that are really interesting or, um, you know, or you see very often and, and you know that it's always going to be on the list? Any examples of that? Well, um, no. The direct answer to that, no. Uh, I, I think if you come into a project with preconceived notions that this is going to work the way the previous one did, then you're already behind the eight ball. So you have to be acceptant of the fact that you have to uh, really start at step one, I think, on every project and, and ask, those, ask those questions because it, it's really to define the conditions of satisfaction there is a need on the the owner's side. There's something had to have happened to generate the project opportunity that needs to be met in order, you know, for the project to even have come to life. So it's understanding what that need is and being able to negotiate your way through uh, a reliable promise to to be able to achieve that need. That is the sort of the, the first step in the critical component. And sometimes that takes some back and forth. You may think that you understand what the need is, uh, but as you learn a little bit more about the, the, the clients or the project, that need may tweak or it may subtly change. And that's where there's this opportunity to, I think, clarify what it is that that expectation is. And so the fundamental part that is always the same, I think, is the process of defining the, the initial need and then having the, the design professional be able to make a reliable promise that is going to meet that need. And that takes that negotiation and really clarification of what the need is to be able to set that. So that part is consistent from project to project, but what the need is is always going to change. Okay. Um, that That's definitely a, a fair response. And I think that's, what any client would want to hear, right? They want to know that whatever they whatever they value is going to be the condition that is established and measured uh, to make sure that it's within the design and, and implemented throughout the project. Um, so, yeah, that, yeah, that's definitely a fair answer. Um, you want to know that you have a, a tailor-made suit, right? Um, nobody wants, you know, just... <laughs> <laughs> just a simplified brand, right? Um, one that's not necessarily catered to you. Um, okay. So 
kind of another question about a standard approach is is there a typical like number of conditions that you you will try to establish um yeah they may be all different but is there a number of, of conditions um that's realistic to make sure you just kind of have set with your clients well i love things at threes but in my mind i i would say it has to be probably three or more but it could be more than that and i think i made the, the comment before that i think these setting these expectations can be scalable right conditions of satisfaction are scalable it could be uh, something that is a few pages long of bullet point lists that is implemented into a contract or it could also be a simple task that um, the what needs to happen on this day is a, a first attempt at a schematic design ceiling plan and what I might need to know to be able to do that, I need to be able to negotiate my way through it and understand what, say, the, the other members of the team need from me to be able to provide a schematic reflective ceiling plan that meets their expectations. So I, I look at these as, as very scalable. They can go all the way up to the macro level of a project or they can go back down to a micro level of today activities that you are working to achieve. And the underlying principle is consistent in either way. In order for you to be able to achieve success, you have to understand what it is that you are trying to achieve so that you can deliver upon it. Okay. You know, as you were talking, uh, the example that you provided about your, your client, um, that one of the dream home um just kind of thinking about that some more um i'm i'm just i'm just thinking through you know how how do you i mean you constantly asked him you know are you happy is this what you is this is this feeling like home to you and he he didn't agree with you um you know you asked the question to him but in, in the next project that you you worked with it on um you know, the answers were yes when you asked that question. Is it looking like, you know, what you expected? Um, what, how do you know? It, how, how do you ensure that you know that your conditions are being met um, throughout the design process? Is, is there something in particular that you do throughout um, to ensure that these conditions are met? Um, well, the... the the basic principle is common understanding and communication and clarity of thought, right? So I can't necessarily blame the client that had aspirations of dream home um, in any way because I don't think I at that time in my career was either uh, asking the right questions or trying to get to the right answers at that time either. Um, it's something as you grow as an architect or a design professional we're constantly preaching to our team about continuous improvement. So you're always trying to, to find ways in which you can get better, right? And so for me, um, understanding what the problem is, defining the right problem, um, you need to be able to have on the opposite end then 
an agreement from the, the client that, yes, that is the problem that I'm trying to solve. There's an acknowledgement of, yes, that's right. If you meet these things, then I'm going to be satisfied. And then it sets you down on a path where, okay, that common understanding is there, that clear communication between parties is there. Um, now let's go to work and, and work really hard to achieve those things. Once those things are achieved, I believe those things are achieved, then there's another check. Um, in order for you to get sign-off on those conditions of satisfaction, right, or the, that the measure of success has been achieved, you have to have performed the work and then declare that we think the work is done. We think that we've achieved that, that this is how we did it. Um, and then the response back from the client has to be, yes, we agree that you achieved that, or you achieved these four things, but not these two other things yet, and this is why if we uh, get this fixed and that fixed and this fixed, then, hey, okay, then I agree that, you know, you've achieved those conditions of satisfaction. But it's it's this back and forth common dialogue and sort of testing and evaluating to you know, finally get to that point. And then in the end, the client has to accept that those conditions have been met in order for you to have measured or achieved that success that you were trying to measure along the way. So there are those couple of steps that once the conditions are defined, the, the team has performed the work to do it, you have to test um, your understanding of those those conditions with the client to make sure that that was achieved and have them agree to it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that the the iterative process of checking in and clarifying and checking in once again it, it makes a lot of sense um and as you mentioned before right these conditions can be scalable um so even if you define something at the beginning and it's summarized for instance at the beginning um it may evolve into something else so consistently asking um and clarifying and and asking for that feedback specifically, is this what you expected or hoped for? You know, it, is this meeting your expectation? Makes a lot of sense. Well, one of the techniques that I try to encourage our teams to do are to keep those front and center, right? Uh, and it, in, it, that could take a different form in, in different phases of the project or different types of projects. But in the design phase, uh, I would like for once those measures of success are defined, I would like those to be a part of almost every presentation. And it's not like you have to linger on that slide and read the word for word, but it's sort of a memory, it's sort of jogging the memory of, okay, these are the things that we agreed upon, and this next part of this presentation is going to show you how we're working towards achieving these measures of success, right? And I think somehow keeping those, those front and center is an important part of the process. It could also be that once you're in construction of a project, that those things are taped up on the trailer wall or on the, the wall of the construction site so that it's not held in a vacuum. It's something that everybody can participate in and see that their efforts are leading towards the achieving of, of those conditions of satisfaction. So being able to communicate that in a wide variety of ways, I think, is another sort of very important part of whether you actually can achieve that success or not. Yeah, I think that that definitely establishes an intention um, 
as the design is actually taking place. You know, when you put something in front of you like that, it sinks into your subconscious, right? And, and you have no choice but to make sure that's, you know, that's your focus. And if you're veering off of that for some reason, you know, having that in front of you once again, um, and even in front of a client, it, it really helps to um, gear your focus, right? Um, I like the idea. I like the idea of putting it in the trailer. Um, I, I've never thought about that. I think that's, that's excellent because, you know, when, when the delivery is taking place, um, you know, there's no question, right? <laughs> there's no well, question yes. as to what's important. Yes. And if you think about the process, there's so many layers to the process and there's so many layers of individuals that get involved and breakdowns typically occur in projects when communication fails or there's handoffs of, of, of things to different people. So trying to find common alignments and consistency of messaging is, is very important. Now I'll refer back to that project that I worked on uh, at the college of architecture at IIT uh, when uh, you know, before I joined Smith Group JJR, um, one of the amazing things that the design team did at the time is Mark Sexton and Gunny Harbo actually gave a presentation of the design process to all of the tradesmen on the first day of their uh, when, when construction was starting or just before construction started. I don't remember the exact time, but it was before things really got into the swing of things and expressed the, the real importance of what this building that they were about to work on over the course of the summer, what it meant to the architectural history of Chicago and the, sort of the fabric of that architectural history that they were going to touch and impact over the next couple of months. And it really created this, this team camaraderie of all for one, one for all, because there was a common understanding of what the expectations were, right? And that's an example, I think, of, of how you can achieve that common understanding in a way that didn't even, you know, at the time we knew nothing about conditions of satisfaction. We just knew that it was, and Mark just knew that it was smart to get everybody on the same page. Um, and that resonated with me. I, I think as we've built our practice at Smith Group JJR, it's, it's a, sometimes a struggle because the complexity of the projects that we're dealing with uh, with, with hospitals or laboratories or, um, you know, sometimes these, these projects can have many layers of clients where there's the decision makers, but then there's the implementers and sometimes the facilities team and the, the user groups are not always on the same page uh, with their own common understandings. So one little thing that we can do is try to make sure that we're showing a consistent message and communicating a consistent message um, to try to align as many people around what those expectations are that that project is trying to achieve. So it, it can be, a, I think, a very important part of the process. Mm. You mentioned healthcare. Um, I did want to ask a question. Is there any ideal project type to make sure that conditions of satisfaction are established? Um. I would say every project, and that may be, a, I think that's a, that's a cop-out, but we do a lot of uh, work in our, our firm with, with different markets and different project sizes, project types. Um, and if you don't 
understand what the expectations are. A project that's a small scale, um, you know, interior renovation has just as big a chance of failing as a hundred million dollar hospital. So it, it, I think it has the same impact regardless of project type and project scale. And I'm a big believer through working with the Lane Construction Institute and Integrated Project Delivery, and we're working hard in the Midwest region to try to educate people on these different tools and uh, different aspects of lean and design and lean and construction. Uh, but not every project that we have a chance to work on is an integrated project. Um, sometimes there are just some very um, realistic, traditional methodologies that have to be employed and contractual underpinnings end up being very simple and very traditional. But that doesn't mean that we can't modify our behaviors to be integrated, even, even though that's the case. And that doesn't mean that we can't think of using the same tools that we find success when it's an integrated project with lean principles as we do a traditional design bid build project. Uh, design bid, yeah, design bid build. So mm -hmm. uh, I believe that it's transferable no matter what. I am very happy to hear that it can be used on any project. Um, well, knowing that, um, I did want to ask the question, you know, how, how would you suggest implementing um, using this approach uh, to establish conditions of satisfaction uh, on a project right away? Sure. Well, um, you know, I would say ask questions. And one of the great things of being in our city is, is we have a lot of, of practitioners that are doing a lot of different things. Um, and having been a part of the Lean Construction Institute for the last couple of years on the core group, uh, there's some tremendous resources there that, that people could use if they want to just ask questions and understand what some of the different techniques are and what some of the different tools are. Uh, I'm a resource that can be reached out to as well. I have lots of opinions about what can work and what can't work. But uh, I would most say that use some of those resources and reach out to the Lean Construction Institute um, and give it a try. And commit yourself to trying to uh, you know, embrace some of the tools and some of those opportunities to, to make it happen. And it really starts simply by understanding the implications of the questions that you're asking and then trying to implement those things. That's great. Um, I would absolutely concur with you to, to reach out to the Lean Construction Institute. Um, one resource that I have found very beneficial that is on the Lean Construction um, Institute website, I think it's leanconstruction.org, right? Um, is yeah. the book, it's the book called Transforming Design and Construction. Um, uh, yes. And it actually has a chapter dedicated to project conditions of satisfaction. So um, I think that's a good resource. And there's another book um, called Conversations for Action. That's another one that kind of establishes what the uh, commitment is and um, how someone can ensure that they're they're meeting that that commitment. Um, so so yeah, I'm this. You can tell this is a topic I'm very interested in because I'm looking at resources and I'm 
um, interviewing Tim here. Um, but yeah, this is great. Thank you so much, Tim, for joining, joining me and um, taking part in this interview. Last question I sure. have for you. Yeah, thank you. The last question I have for you is how can people get in touch with you? They want to learn more about conditions of satisfaction or anything else. Sure. Well, the best way is probably email. Um, I think, uh, or you could reach out to me via LinkedIn and we could establish a connection. Uh, my email address, I don't know if uh, I should give that to you here. If you yeah. want to just go ahead and give it to me here. Notes. Go ahead and give it to sure. me here and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Okay. It's Tim.Tracy, Tracy spelled T-R-A-C-E-Y, at smithgroupjjr.com. Uh, that's that's the best way to reach out to me, and I'll do my best to, to help however I can. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tim. Sure. Well, thank you. Uh, I mean, I, I think that the more people are talking about these tools and the more people that are, um, you know, sort of spreading the word that, there, there are ways in which to do things, uh, you know, that, that uh, we can all learn from each other. I, I think that's a great thing. So I appreciate your setting this up and let me share some of my thoughts with you. And hopefully you found it uh, useful. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed this delightful interview with Tim as much as I did. Through iterative measurement, we can determine whether a project team is meeting project goals during design and construction, ultimately continuously improving AEC standards and best practices. Find the show notes at constructor.com slash EP17. And don't forget to, to subscribe. If you like my content, please subscribe at constructor.com. This will encourage me to keep going providing you with excellent interviews with awesome people crushing it in this industry. And when you subscribe, you'll be getting an email from me every week letting you know when a podcast is released right from your inbox. All right. Look forward to talking with you next week. Bye for now.